Well, we're back at it again, boys. Another uh, special edition. I, I, I forget if we're doing regular shows or special editions now. There's so much going on. Kev, where where are you? You should sell your house, Kev. You're never there. <laughs> <laughs> Down in Omaha, Nebraska, actually uh, finishing up. Yeah, the uh, Olympic trials here in in, uh, in the U.S. And then, of course, uh, excited to head to Saskatoon to get to the Canadian trials and uh, watch Carrick and Team Botcher and everybody else in that one. So exciting times. Warren, you must love this time uh, leading up to the Olympics and all the events that are going on. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's uh, really interesting to watch what's going on, uh, particularly the U.S., which I'm pretty familiar with from having worked down there for about three years. And and now the Canadian trials, the European championships are on right now. So really exciting time for the sport of curling all around the world. Let's move along. Time to pump out another show. Let's do it. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. The line's really good. Line's right on the button, guys. Right here. Last stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Well, for Inside Curling, we've got sponsors, and we really appreciate them for supporting curling, so we encourage you to support them. We'd like to thank Goldline, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Nestle Boost, and Meridian Manufacturing. On the show today, we've got to get an update, Kevin, about the U.S. Olympic curling trials. They've ended. Uh, we want to hear what you have to say about that. The European Championships are on this week in uh, Lillehammer, and of course, the Canadian trials are underway, and we're going to give you updates later on in the week with those okay time to get to what's happening in the curling world brought to you by sports interaction or we call it around the curling world and uh, god knows kevin has been around the world thanks a lot to sports interaction providing competitive odds on all sports sports interaction is canada's odds maker you got to be 19 years old to play kevin what do you got for us the u.s olympic trials are in the books both men and women they are in the books, and it was a fantastic week, actually, in the Baxter Arena in Omaha, Nebraska. It's just a terrific arena where the uh, university team plays in, in Omaha. But the way it worked, there's two six-team pools, and they played a double round robin, so they played 10 games. And now let's talk about the women's side first. So uh, Tabitha Peterson ended up 9-1, and one, Corey Christensen 7-3. and three. So they were the final two, and they ended up playing... A best two out of three. That's been done the last uh, two or three uh, Olympic trials in the States. A best two out of three, which I think is a really good idea to try to get your best team out. Game one in the women's. Tabitha Peterson, they're just playing so well. It's sort of a game of threes. Uh, Tabitha got out to a 3 nothing lead. Got two in the first. Stole one in the second. Got out to a 3 nothing lead. Gave a three back to Corey Christensen in the fifth. Got three back in the sixth. So the field goal kickers were sharp and ended up that, that did it for <laughs> that game just too too many threes in the second game where Corey had to win in the first end Corey Christensen had an outturn draw to about the full forefoot came up a little bit light second end has a fairly simple outturn tap for two 
a little bit wide and heavy. So the pressure, I think the pressure kind of got to her and then got a deuce back uh, on a tap in three, but then gave up another three ender in the fourth end. They gambled a bit, gave up a steal in five, and that was it. So Tabitha Peterson, Nina Roth, Becca Hamilton, and Tara Peterson, they are off to Beijing on the women's side in the U.S., on the men's side, it took the whole three games. What a great battle. You'd think all the pressure would have been on Team Schuster. Well, in the first game, uh, John had a fairly tough double, an angled double, ticked the guard, gave up a steal of two, and then gave up three in the third. The first game actually was over. They shook hands after seven. It wasn't even close. We're going, wow, could it be that Corey Dropkin is going to win this thing? Well, in game two, Dropkin had advantage again. He was up two to one with hammer, could have just thrown an outturn draw to uh, to the four-foot circle, Scored as one to be two up after six. But I don't know why, but they, they tried a really difficult double for five. Now, it was for five, so it would have been ball game, but it was really tough. He came close to making it, almost got the Red Rocks out, left them sitting two, a steal of two. All of a sudden, Schuster has control after six and forces in seven, and the rest is history. He wins that game uh, by four, actually, in the end. And as soon as that momentum changed, I'll tell you what, game three was all about John Schuster, and he just nailed it. After about eight ends, Jimmy, the final rock shooting percentage for John Schuster was 100%. He was absolutely spot on, perfect in the third game. Jopkin just didn't have a chance in the third game. Uh, John Schuster came to play in that one. And you know what? When you've got the favorite on the ropes, I think the difference in the three-game series was the, the decision to try the real tough double and six in the second game. Because, boy, once that was missed, the whole world changed. But So John Schuster, Chris Plies. Now, Chris Plies is new to the team. Tyler George was actually on third, but then he retired. Matt Hamilton and John Landsteiner. John Landsteiner, too. I got to say something about him. He was near 100% for the whole week, too. So, you know what? They deserve the win, and uh, we'll see if the gold medalists can can do it again in Beijing. When you see these big events and these big games and, and big ends that um, you have to tackle, uh, nerves, of course, are always a big part of it. What's the biggest effect of nerves showing? You know, I, I think of Jack Nicholas. He said when he was so nervous... He had to concentrate on the grip pressure when he grabbed the club. And I'm wondering in curling, is it the same thing about what do you have to handle most, Kevin, when nerves start to creep in? I think you have to handle your breathing. And probably to Jack Nichols' point, when grip strength means if you can relax, you relax your grip. Same when you're in the hack, you got to get your breathing down to normal so that when you come out of the hack, your actual leg push is what you think it is. If your heart's going too fast and you're full of adrenaline, all of a sudden, you push harder than you, you think, and you're a little bit heavy. And that's exactly what happened to Corey Christensen on her tap in the second. I'm sure she was excited to, you know, I'm going to get the lead here. So she got all excited and then just a little bit heavy, and it just didn't curl. And, and that in curling, it's all about controlling your emotions and controlling your heart rate, which means controlling your breathing. That's the most important thing in, in curling so that you can throw the draw weight or even the tap weight that you want. Otherwise, you'll end up being a little bit heavy. I'll tell you what, Martin, your updates are becoming good. I was on the edge of my seat there. <laughs> Listen to your breakdown. <laughs> well, I was on the edge of my seat, Jimmy. It was it was terrific curling in Omaha. Had a great time. Called for NBC with uh, Jason Knapp. Uh, him and I have done uh, the last two Olympics together. We're going to be doing the next Olympics together. So uh, it's a great group. CJ, the producer, is fantastic. So we just had a really good time. Right on, Kevin.
right, let's reach into the mailbag and see what we can pull out. Thanks very much to Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. We've got an email from Kathy. Uh, She says, I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while now, and I am enjoying it immensely. Well, thank you, Kathy. Thinking about the changes being proposed, in particular how to avoid tiebreakers, this is a solution I like, and here's the reasons why. Coming from a small two-sheet club in southern Ontario when we have bond spills, we always use a point system to determine winners. For each game, you get 10 points for a win and zero for a loss. But apart from that, you also get points for each end and each rock. So if you win an end, you get a point, and you get a quarter of a point per rock. So if Team 1 won the game 7-6, to six, took four ends, and had a score of 7, they would end up with 15 and three-quarter points. Team 2 lost the game but counted four ends and had a score of 6, they would end up with five and a half points. If there's a blank end, no points are awarded for the end. The win points can be whatever you said it does, not need to be 10. Likewise, the end and rock points. I think I'm following this, fellas, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Kathy goes on to say, I think this would be a good solution for round-robin play only to try to avoid tiebreakers. It would also make each end important as you can earn points and teams would or should play out the games regardless of the score, more like the Skins game. I don't have a problem with shortening the game to eight ends, but I hate when I'm trying to catch the end of a game and it's already over because they have quit early. That seems like a lot of convoluted points to hand out, Kevin. (laughs) Well, I think it's fantastic for club play. I've never uh, been part of anything like that at the club level. It'd be so much fun uh, because you're always worried about making sure you get ends and so on. And the end of the bond spiel, uh, it'd be interesting trying to calculate all that stuff. But uh, I'm not sure that how the announcers on a broadcast could go through all of that <laughs> and make it clear to everybody how the point system works in like a competitive nature. So I'm not sure it would work competitively, but in a club situation, how much fun would that be? Great idea. And thanks for the email. Well, I have to tell an interesting story about all this because yes, it's very interesting. But this goes back a while. A world championship in men's curling was being held in Garmisch-Partenkirchen, Germany. And I was there. And following the event, they put on a bond spiel on the actual sheets of ice that the world championship had been played on. So I went into the event with three of my friends from Calgary, two from the media, Larry Wood, Ray Kingsmith, and another fellow from Air Canada, Gene Warwick. And we entered this bond spiel, not knowing for sure exactly what it was all about. I thought it was kind of interesting for one thing. They had set up a bar at ice level, which was kind of a, a nice attraction. And so we started playing in this thing, not realizing this was a points competition, very similar to the one that's being explained here. And the other interesting thing about it was it was nine ends, not ten, nine ends. So we played through this thing, and we weren't sure what was going on. You don't play any extra ends. We knew all these points were being calculated, but we didn't really know where we stood. So when the competition was completed, we went back to this banquet room in one of the local hotels, and we sat around and had food and drinks for about two hours, Well, I guess they were doing all the calculations to figure out who won and who lost. And so in the end, we hadn't lost a game, but we came second because obviously we didn't get enough points to come first. (laughs) The the other interesting thing about it was that there was trophies given away from first place to eighth place, and they were all the same. They were just a different size. But the interesting thing was it was a little cup with a medallion on the top of it. Remember, this was back in the early days of of European curling. Leather curling then still even was done uh, outdoors to some extent then. 
And on top of this uh, little cup on this medallion was a curler sliding on an EPAT. And uh, we said with uh, laughter for a number of years after, we came second in the World Kneepad Sliding Championship. (laughs) (laughs) Whether they still play this type of curling in Europe where the points are used, I'm not even sure. But maybe if someone is listening to us from Europe, you could bring us up to date on what's happening with this type of thing today. That's my experience with the point system that Kathy's explaining. Why a 9-end game, Warren? I have no idea. Ending it with the rocks at the other end. Yes, I, I do not know, but the games were nine hands. So <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> it was quite an experience. One, as you can tell, I've always remembered. Imagine if it was like that now, Warren, and you'd be warning your team, say, "Okay, boys, look at here's what we got to do. Do not win every game." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we knew we had to score points. So I mean, there was games we won like fifteen to two, and because you got to keep scoring points, right? If you, right. <laughs> you didn't want a close game that was five four. You, you that wasn't going to be good, even if you won it. Kevin, what, what, what's your opinion on all of that? You've been asking these questions now for a few weeks to all the other curlers, the ones who are competing and all our guests. You know, when you played Kevin, talking about all these changes, what would you like to see done, Kevin, if anything at all? In, in, in regards to the no extra ends in round robin, I think that is quite important because it's hard for the telecast to, to book in the amount of time when you don't know how long the game's going to be. So that that's an issue. So I, I really don't mind the idea... In the skins game, we had many, many times where the game was decided by draw the button at the end. So it's something that we became quite comfortable with in the skins game. I, I really don't see a problem with it. Could strategy alter at the end? Maybe. Not sure. We'll have to uh, try it out and see if it does actually get altered or in, in some negative uh, impact to the game. But we've done it before in, in games. Uh, there's lots of sports that have uh, in round robin, not usually to finish a championship, but you know, in preliminaries where there's a, a shot taken or, or whatever the case may be to finish games rather than go into overtime. So interesting. I, I certainly, uh, it's something that I am interested in seeing. I'm definitely not against it. Uh, in curling, you talk about the no tick zone, definitely needed in our sport. The ticks are almost never missed uh, anymore. So that's really important. And the timing issue, we'll see. That will quicken up the game, but will it hurt in the last couple three ends? We don't want it to because it's important to hear the curlers make these great discussions, and we don't want to hurry that up and kind of wreck that part of the game. So that one, um, I'm really interested in seeing the result of the tightening of time. Is it too tight? Is it not too tight? We'll see. Once people get a little bit more used to it, uh, we'll see how that affects. But those are my thoughts, Jimmy. I think uh, eight ends is obvious. I don't think we need to kick that one down the road at all. That's an obvious change that has to happen. Uh, Very good. We have a huge mailbag. Okay, so send us an email and we'll stuff it into the bag and maybe we'll pull yours out uh, each week and read it. You can get a hold of us, InsideCurling at gmail.com. And that was the mailbag segment. Thanks a lot to Nestle Boost. Coming up next, uh, Kevin, your, your string is alive and well with getting the best guests. Tabitha Peterson won the U.S. Olympic trials and we are going to sit down with her coming up next. There's a knock at the door from our guest. Thanks a lot to Goldline for sponsoring this bit. Goldline Curling equipment can be found 
in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam event of curling and online anytime, goldlinecurling.com. Tabitha is our guest who just won the Olympic trials. And uh, Tabitha, uh, I was talking to Kevin. Uh, he got an email from you saying you could do the interview. And he got it at 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? I want to, <laughs> first of all, congratulations. What were you doing till 4 a.m.? That's what I want to know. Well, I mean, as you know, our game started late. Like, I think we started about 8.30. So we got off the ice probably 11.30-ish or so. And with the interviews and the doping control and just everything that you have to do afterwards, we met all our family and friends at a bar at about 1 in the morning, I think. Bar closed at 2, so we were only there for a little bit. And then, yeah, I couldn't sleep. I think I just had so much going on in my brain still. Tried to lay down about 3 a.m. and I was up till about 6 a.m. Just, you know, looking at my phone and just, yeah, soaking it all in, I guess. I mean, to get to the Olympics, I mean, what an unreal accomplishment. And can you put it into words, what it, what it was like for you and your team? It feels amazing. It obviously was one of our main goals going into this season to win the Olympic trials so that we could have a chance uh, at getting on the Olympic podium. We think that we're good enough to medal at the Olympics. So we're excited that we achieved our first goal and now we can work on our next one. But yeah, it still feels surreal that we're going back. It seems like four years ago wasn't even that long ago, but we're excited for our new team member, Tara, my sister, who is now a new Olympian. So very excited for her. Yeah, we're just really excited for the next couple of months. How will you spend the next couple of months then leading up to the Olympics? We'll have a practice weekend in a couple weekends, and then we're playing in Eveleth in the middle of December, and then hopefully going to the Slam in January. We still have to kind of talk about our schedule because it was kind of like very dependent upon if we won the Olympic trials or not, what our schedule would look like. So we kind of have to talk about that as a team. But we have a meeting um, with like USA Curling um, with our schedule for the Olympics and like acclimating to the time zone and processing. And so I don't even know what that looks like yet, but it'll be a, a wild ride for sure. Well, you can, get, you can get fitted for all your gear, the Olympic gear, and then you can meet at one in the morning at a yeah. bar to decide. <laughs> Kev, over to you. All right, Tabitha. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time. I, I want to talk a little bit about the two games. Now, it was the best of three, but you only needed two games to win the championship. But what stands out to me on the scoreboard, your aggressive play, the three enders you got, the steals that you got in the first game, you get out to a three, nothing lead, a, a deuce, and then a steal in the second. Uh, you actually give up a three in the fifth, grab a three to take the, the lead that ended up winning the first game in the sixth. In the second game, you get a three in the fourth then steal in the sixth. In that game, you actually stole points in one, two, five, and eight. Your aggressive play, and I want to kind of hear your thoughts on, at least with Nina's short game or soft game, the draw, the tap. Does that maybe help with the outstanding aggressive play you guys have in, in getting points being with or without the hammer? Um, for sure. We definitely, as a team, prefer aggressive play, and that's kind of our go-to is to play lots of draws and, and taps and hack weight shots. It's definitely more interesting and more fun, and I think especially since the Five Rock Rule started a couple of years ago, like it forced us into that a little bit. It's great having players like Nina at third that can do those finesse shots. And she's totally on board with it too. And it's definitely, you know, high risk, high reward at times. You give up a couple, but you can definitely get some big ends with the aggressive play. 
Yeah, that's exactly what it kind of looked like to me. But, you know, let's also uh, give credit to your front end because uh, you put a lot of pressure on them with the way you skip, being that they're so aggressive, so many draws. Of course, you know, the thrower can throw it well, but in order to get the rock in the right spot, it's up to the sweepers. Oh, definitely. I feel that we, like Nina and I say this all the time, we're like, we feel like we have some of the best sweepers out there. Like we can just put it in the ballpark and they'll get it to the perfect spot. They're so strong and so good at judging. And I definitely think that that makes a huge difference. Question about the playoff system. You had a six-team double round robin falling with a best of three playoff, which is not the usual thing in curling today. How do you like that best of three playoff? Did you prefer that to a sudden death or is a sudden death the preference for you? How, how does that all rest with you? Well, I guess that's the only way I've ever played in Olympic trials is with the best of three playoff. I don't mind it. I get where the USA curling is coming from, kind of wanting to get the best team out of it. But it definitely makes for a long week, especially with the double round robin and three more games like we potentially could have had 13 games which is a lot like we played 15 or 16 games at the world championships so yeah it was definitely a long week and so we just kind of had to mentally prepare for it and just know that you know we just gotta go out there and play our game and with a little bit of a saving grace if you have a bad game that you can still win the thing so you're going to the olympics in beijing tabitha have you been there before beijing yes We've been to China, I think, seven times or something. <laughs> okay. So it's not, it's not going to be a new experience for you. So we've heard various things with regard to who can go to the Olympics in Beijing as far as family, friends. Do you know uh, who's going to be able to go with you besides your official team or what's happening in that regard? The last I heard is that like no family or friends or fans can come at all. So kind of a bummer. It'll definitely be a different experience, but it is what it is, I guess, right? Put you on the spot here for a moment. So the Canadian trials are on right now, and you've played against uh, most of those top teams in Canada. Is there a team in the trials that the Peterson team would say, we would really prefer if they didn't win versus someone else? Is there any Canadian team that you've sort of had your, your challenges with that you'd prefer not to see there? Or? I'd probably say Team Holman. We've had some close games with them, but I think if you look at like our head-to-head, they've won most of our matchups. And we played against them at the last Olympics, and I don't think we beat them. So that would probably be my, my team that I would be like, eh. <laughs> Well, and they've been having their struggles as of late, too, so you maybe not have to face them. What about the rest of the world? I mean, right now we know Terenzoni and Hasselberg are going to be there for sure. How have you uh, fared against those teams uh, since you've taken over the skipping role in the last couple of years? Yeah, Hasselberg... I feel like we can definitely have some good games against that team. Um, we beat them in the bronze medal game at the last Worlds. I'd say we're probably 50-50 with that team, but I guess I don't know since I've started skipping what that looks like. Um, and then, yeah, Tiranzoni is going to be tough as well. They beat us in the semifinal at the Worlds, and I don't think we've played them this season at all yet. So for me, skipping against that team, I think it's only been once or twice. When you were getting ready for this trials, uh, you know, obviously you guys dominated at the trials. Uh, you guys played awesome as a team the whole week. Um, the schedule prior, there's a reason I'm asking this, the schedule prior to the trials, are you going to try to mimic that schedule prior to the Olympic Games just to try to find that same magic elixir? We stick to a pretty strict um, routine and schedule based on when our all our games are. We write out, my sister did this actually, she wrote out, Every day and what time we needed to wake up, what time we needed to eat, what time we needed to snack, what time we needed to 
leave for the game and what we were cooking for our meal. Like we just planned literally everything out so that we don't have to think throughout the week besides just think about curling. So that's kind of our, the way we do it. We just try to be very consistent and, and have a very strict schedule. And I think it's definitely a lot easier to do that with kind of being in a little bit of a bubble. There's not really much else going on or much else to do. So it's really easy to just kind of stick with your team as a, a unit and just kind of follow your same process every day. Well, and also going into it. So you're, say you're two weeks prior to the trials versus your two weeks prior to the Olympic Games. I know it's a little bit tough because you've got the travel and the time zone uh, issues ahead. But that's kind of what I'm wondering about as well, like to, so that you walk into the Olympic Games, well, with the same mindset as you did in the trials, because that, that would bode well, I would think. Yeah, so before this week, the team got together three days before we even left for Omaha. So we got together as a whole group of six, like the four of us, plus Eileen and Lainey, and did like a practice weekend for three days. And then we all left for Omaha together. That was kind of the way that we kind of just getting in the right mindset, getting into the zone, kind of leaving your family stuff or your work stuff kind of behind and just getting in the right mindset. But in terms of like the weeks leading up, um, we just kind of do our normal training schedule stuff uh, with practicing and going to league and going to the training house and working out in the gym and getting a few shifts in at work. Do you, uh, Tabitha, when you go into the Olympics, do you scout the other teams? Do you guys look at video or, or check out other games and uh, sort of base your strategy depending on what the other teams are like? Yes and no. We definitely like to watch some games of our opponents and kind of see what the what their go-to strategy is. We also have, like, you know, we can run reports, basically all the curling zone stats, and kind of see what hammer efficiency is and steel efficiency and make a game plan off of that. But for the most part, we kind of just focus on ourselves and play our own game and just try to make as many shots and put the pressure on the other teams. But it's definitely fun to watch. We're going to be probably glued to the TV this upcoming week watching the Canadian trials. And it's it's fun to kind of watch it for strategy and the men's and women's games too for just new ideas or, oh, that worked for them and maybe let's try that type of thing probably pretty fun to watch the Canadian trials. Now that you're in the Olympics, you could watch these other teams sweat it out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tabitha, I want to ask you one question. And, and uh, just because I always thought about it uh, when, when going to an Olympics and what's the most fun for you at the Olympics? Because there's many things, right? There's the opening ceremonies, clothing ceremonies, the, the sport, the curling itself, meeting all the athletes, the village, all these various things. What's the most fun for you? Like I had a feeling that, I've never felt before during the opening ceremonies. It was just so cool. But besides that, it's probably just like the day-to-day being in the Olympic Village stuff and running into USA hockey team and the speed skaters and everyone's just like, oh, good luck in your match today or have a good race. And it's just positive vibe and energy in the village. So that's pretty cool, pretty special. You have a Canadian as your coach, Lainey Peters, who Kevin and I are certainly really familiar with. Great success that she's had over the years in the Scotties and and at World Championships. How did that whole thing develop that uh, Lainey is the coach of your team? Yeah, we got her two, we've had her two seasons now, I think, or two and a half. Um, We were looking for a coach and so we were kind of just spitballing names and she came up and (laughs) she said yes. We were kind of like, oh, great, that was easy. Um, We didn't really know her very well, and I think at the time, actually, we had, 
she couldn't fully commit. And so we also had Natalie Nicholson. So they kind of co-coached for a season, which was really fun. But yeah, just getting to know her has been has been really fun. And she has obviously so much experience and, and wisdom that she can pass on to us. Uh, Tabitha, one, one last thing before, uh, before we let you go. The schedule, how crazy does it get after winning a championship like this when it comes to all the different things that you get pulled from sponsorship to speaking engagements and media and family obligations and work, of course. Now, how, how do you get that much time off? And oh, my goodness. All of those things. I guess that's probably why you couldn't sleep last night when you went to bed, <laughs> trying to figure out how you're going to work all this out now yeah, that you've won. I know. Definitely going to have to talk to the boss. Um, but my work is pretty flexible as it is. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. But yeah, I, you just you never know. There could be a ton of opportunities or just a few. I don't think it's as crazy as it is up there in Canada in terms of media stuff and speaking engagements and maybe maybe afterwards who knows um but we'll take whatever they throw at us it'll be it'll be really fun <laughs> well listen tabitha thanks very much congratulations such such a huge feat you know uh, uh well done and and best of luck to you and your team thank you thanks so much <laughs> thank you very much tabitha for taking the time we really appreciate it yeah no problem have a good day you guys get some sleep how about that yeah maybe in a week i'll start to sleep <laughs> Well, Kev, uh, give us your take on that uh, team. She's engaging. Uh, sounds like she knows what she's doing, anyone who gets to the Olympic trials. What's your take on that team, Kev? Well, Tabitha is fantastic. She just shot the lights out uh, here in Omaha all week. Definitely deserving of uh, wearing the, the U.S. flag on, on the uniform going to the Olympic Games. I loved what she said about the opening ceremonies. Uh, for me, same thing, you know, walking in at, uh, we didn't walk in in 1992, actually. We were at the closing ceremonies, but not the opening. Back then, you'd go to one half of the Olympics or the other. But in Salt Lake, we did both, which was incredible. And then Vancouver was awe-inspiring. Marnie McBean, a great uh, athlete, out of uh, Olympic athlete out of Canada, was uh, leading the crew. And it's funny, some people wanted to carry their phones, you know, and kind of record everything. And she said, you know what? I, I don't think it's a good idea to try to record. You'll be looking at your phone. Just suck it in. All the what you're going to see, and that's exactly what I did. So glad I did it. The memories are amazing. So that was great to hear from, from Tabitha. You know, you had asked her about, you know, who they're going to look at, who their biggest competitor would be. She mentioned Rachel Holman. If you asked other teams, Kevin, about who they're concerned about or who they, who they look at, that'll be tough. Would Team USA always come into that conversation when you asked other teams? Definitely, especially with, with the team lineup they have now, with Tabitha throwing the last ones and Nina uh, setting it up for her. Really tough combination. I think everybody realizes that. Yeah, without question, that is going to be a team to watch. I, I've sort of watched them develop, and when Nina was skipping, it was always seeming like something wasn't quite right. She's got a very good touch, but she wasn't finishing, and when they by chance got this uh, switch with Tabitha at the tee head, they became a different team, and they are without question right now, in my opinion, one of the top women's teams in the world, and I think an excellent chance of seeing the podium in Beijing. Let's get to story time. We do it on our show all the time now, and it's, uh, I, I love this segment. It's brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners, and a proud sponsor 
of the Grand Slam of Curling. The Canadian Curling Trials is on uh, this week in Saskatoon, but in the past it was referred to as, and I remember this, Warren, the Roar of the Rings. But that name's no longer used, and yet I hear a lot of people using it. Uh, Tell us about that, Warren. Well, it's kind of interesting. The name is no longer being used, it appears, but no one has ever officially said that. So I found it rather interesting that two of our major national networks yesterday were still referring to it as Roar of the Rings. But let me give you the history of this, because it's kind of an interesting story. When the first trials were held back in 1987 for the demonstration in Calgary, the trials were called the Labatt Curling Trials because Labatt was a major sponsor of the Canadian Olympic Committee, and they were also the sponsor of the Briar, and so it was no issue. And uh, everybody was quite happy with what went forward. But when curling became a medal sport for the first time in 1998, the trials were determined to be held in November of 1997, but a few issues started to develop. And that was, what are you going to call the trials, and what is going to be the involvement of the Canadian Olympic then association with the whole thing. And so there's conflict of sponsors between the Canadian Olympic Committee and Curling Canada at the time, CCA. And uh, through a lot of discussions, it was finally decided that there would be a partnership between the COC and Canadian Curling Association to operate the trials in 1997. But there was a lot of issues that developed because there was sponsor conflicts. And it was just a whole pile of, I remember one was between Chrysler and Ford, and there were others. It was all sorted out in the end, and it was called the Canadian Olympic Curling Trials, but it didn't work very well. So following that, the Canadian Curling Association pretty much made a decision to probably go it on their own for 2001. But of course, that posed another problem. The word Olympic could not be associated with those trials in any way, shape, or form if the COC wasn't involved because of the protection of their sponsors and the trademarks, which are issued to them from from uh, from the International Olympic Committee. So after a lot of discussion, uh, Rod Paulson, who works with us, was uh, given the task of coming up with a name and a design of the logo, and he very cleverly developed the logo and the Roar of the Rings, which did not infringe upon the Olympic trademarks, although the Roar of the Rings, we always said, well, that's the curling rings, uh, not the Olympic rings, and uh, by coincidence, the colors in the logo were the ones that coincided with the colors of the Olympic rings. But the COC agreed with it, and it went forward, and... uh, Everything was fine. So in 2001, for the first time, the trials were called the Roar of the Rings. And that has continued since then, and it became a trademark that that was associated with the trials from that day forward. It also, as I recall, around about 2008, was a very expensive trademarking that was taken on by Curling Canada, and the fact that they protected the name and the logo, and uh, that was all done at a fair amount of expense. So why they have chosen to not use that name any longer... Uh, is a mystery to me. I asked them the question, and uh, the response was, well, nobody refers to it as Roar of the Rings, so we're going to simply uh, just call it the Canadian Curling Trials, which I guess if you're a curling fan, you know what the Canadian Curling Trials are, but I find tuning into their telecasts that there's no indication anywhere in that building of what is taking place. So a person that's kind of foreign to what's taking place at the moment wouldn't have any association between that event and the Olympics, but that's the story of the Roar of the Rings. Did you know that one, Kevin? I did not know that at all, actually. Uh, that's a very interesting story. And it is, I still call it, I, I, I have been calling it the Roar of the Rings. I didn't know it changed. So I, I'm kind of with the, the media groups that have been calling it incorrectly this year. I'm the same. I, I've been calling it the Roar of the Rings too. So I'll, I'll, I guess I've got to stop doing that. 
How much money, Warren, does the Olympics leave on the table without sponsorship of all those events? Well, it's kind of a complicated uh, situation. I, I guess you're, when you're referring to the Olympics, as far as Canada is concerned, uh, yes, the Canadian Olympic Committee owned the podium and Sport Canada put a fair amount of money on the table in, in the millions uh, for Curling Canada uh, in, in the four-year period leading up to the Olympics. The Olympic trials itself, the old roar of the rings, is certainly, from my experience, one of the top revenue-producing events for, for Curling Canada with the sponsorship, the fans, everything else that's been involved with it over the years. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to fare out this year in Saskatoon uh, with the COVID issue, uh, which is unfortunate without question because I know from past experience, if it, if it wasn't for COVID, that building would have been packed uh, every draw. And I think, by my memory, the whole is about 12,000 people. So that's unfortunate for Curling Canada and everyone that we're dealing with this right now. But uh, the crowds seem to be not bad, and I expect it's going to pick up considerably as the as the week goes on, even with the COVID issue. Inside Curling's reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and ask to set up a Zoom call. We've done several of these, uh, and the clubs really enjoy it. Uh, all three of us will join you. Keep in mind we're doing it on a limited basis uh, to see how it goes and to keep it going. And it's uh, something, of course, we hope to do in the future. So get in touch with us. We'd, lo- we'd love to do it. Let's uh, also thank Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. Rod handles all our Facebook stuff, the group, and our Facebook page. You want to email us? InsideCurling at gmail.com. So lots coming ahead in the coming weeks, uh, boys. Uh, It's going to be very exciting as we uh, sort of work our way towards the Olympics. Uh, Norway, the European Championships uh, will continue. And Saskatoon, of course, the Canadian Curling Trials are underway and we're going to keep you posted with all of that so as you were fellas uh, great show today thanks a lot to tabitha and thanks a lot to everyone for listening this has been inside curling thanks jim hey thanks jimmy